Welcome to the Dayspring Community Church Podcast. Check out our website at dayspringonline.org. And now, Dr. Matt Friedemann. If you would turn in that Bible, we're going to go two places this morning, if that's okay. We've got a sermon series right now on Proverbs. And in Proverbs, we are trying to discern from the wisdom of Solomon, God through Solomon, how can we, uh, how can we live our lives most appropriately for him? I'm going to take some Proverbs here, but frequently I'll go to another place in the Bible to sort of illustrate that principle. And today I would like to read out of that part of Scripture. It's 1 Samuel 3, if you'll turn there. Uh, Before we do that, I just want to suggest to you here, uh, we want to be in the ready position for God. Uh, The ready position to actually listen to Him, try to understand what He's telling us to do, and then we want to obey what He wants us to obey. I don't know if you ever heard of Ian McKellen before. Uh, he's the guy that played Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Uh, he is a, uh, a homosexual. Uh, so he says, whenever I stay at the hotel, I always check to see if they have a Gideon Bible. You know, most hotels still do that, Wayne. They have Gideon Bibles. And so he says, I check for it. And if they do, I go to the place in Leviticus, chapter 18, verse 22, and I rip that page out, because it's directed against people like me. I think by now, I must have ripped out a few hundred. He says, who knows? There might be someone who has insomnia who reads the Bible because they have nothing else to do and might be especially vulnerable to what I think is Leviticus's pornography. Hey, I wonder sometimes if we don't do the same thing. Not because we go grab Bibles and rip pages out, but there's something that makes us feel a little uneasy, so we just decide, and sometimes we decide without deciding, but we decide not to do it. I'm not going to do it. And I think that is this passage today. Eli had some sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and these sons were wicked, and Eli did nothing about it, and he doesn't seem to want to hear from the Lord as to what he should do about it. Now, before Wayne starts reading here in chapter 3, 1 Samuel 2 says, The sons of Eli's were worthless men. They did not know the Lord and the custom of the priests with the people. When any man was offering a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, thrust it into the pan or the kettle or cauldron, and lift that fork out so that the priest, so Hophni and Phinehas, could have it for themselves. So, they were eating meat that didn't belong to them. Then it says... When Eli was very old, he heard all that his sons were doing to Israel and how they were having sex with women who served at the doorway at the tent of meeting. So in the most holy place in all Israel, at the tabernacle, just inside is where they understood the presence of God was especially important, especially evident. Where the Ark of the Covenant was, the sons were just a few yards away having sex with women. And it says that Eli did nothing about it. It says Eli could have entered in, could have forced, could have made them stop, but Eli did not. They would not listen to the voice of the Father, and because they didn't listen to the voice of the Father, the Father just let them continue on doing what they were doing. God was seriously disappointed, so God took action. And 1 Samuel 3 is about the action that he took. 
And Wayne's going to read for us 1 Samuel 3. Would you please stand in honor of the Word of God? Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the Word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyelids, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called to Samuel and he said, Here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, Here am I, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On, the day, on that day, I will fulfill, fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to the end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son? And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do to you and even more if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let None of the words fall, none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? 
Heavenly Father, we pray that by Your Spirit, You would assist us in opening our hearts and our minds and our wills to hear Your Word and to hear the message of the hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. You may be seated. Thank you, Wayne. So, one of the things I love about this passage, and there's so many, uh, we've used this in discipleship this week, so I'm like loaded for bear on this passage, but we're going to spend uh, just a little time in it. But I just love this because Eli disciples, Eli, who's not very good at listening and obeying, Eli disciples Samuel. And by the way, Samuel is a word means God hears. I love that. So if God hears me, he wants me to hear him. There's this dialogue going on. Do any of you have a regular dialogue with God? You see, i, I got to tell you, I do, but for a long time, my dialogue with God was me talking and not listening. But you need to know, while He hears you when you do that, He wants you to hear Him. And if He's just hearing us and we're not hearing Him, so one of the things I've started doing is putting the Psalms, I go through five Psalms a day, putting the Psalms in God's voice to me today. So, real quick, I can remember this, you can too. Uh, Psalm 23. Matt, I'm your covenant God. That's what Lord means. I'm your covenant God. Matt, today, I am your shepherd. And today, you're not going to want for anything. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So I said, I have God telling that to me. And so I just go through there. I'm telling you what, I love. I haven't been doing this this long. But I've loved over the last couple months putting the Psalms into God's voice to me for today. And just saying, God, act. I'm listening to you. Act in my life and help me to correspondently act toward you in the way that is honoring. So having said that, Eli counsels Samuel in listening. And this word that he keeps saying, listen to him, listen, say, speak, Lord, I'm listening, is Shema. Now, the Jews would start and end their day with that passage of Scripture. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. That is, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. They'd start the day, they'd end the day with that prayer out of Deuteronomy 6, 4. And I think it's a good thing. But what it meant was, Israel, all you particular individuals in Israel, I want you to hear what I've got to say. And not just hear it, but to obey it, which is exactly what Shema means. And Eli was seemingly incapable of doing this in his life. And when finally he's challenged on it by God through Samuel, Samuel comes and says, God's not pleased. And bad things about ready to happen because God's not pleased. Eli does not respond, I think, in an appropriate manner. I want to repeat to you what he said. Well, it's the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I want you to think about that just a minute. If God comes up and says, uh, here is what I am disappointed in, and I want you to know I'm going to judge your house, and I want you to know your sons have brought a curse on them, I want you to know that you didn't rebuke them, and therefore the house of Eli is going down. If God ever says that to you, you can say, I guess, hey, I'm just going to tell you here. I hope this is what my response will be. Matt, you've sinned. Your children have sinned. I'm going to extinguish 
every one of you, and the House of Freedmen will be dead because of you. Now, I might say, oh, whoa, well, it's the Lord. Let him do what he wants to do. Maybe that's what you say. I hope this is what I would do. I'd go down with my face into the dirt. I would scream out to God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my children. Have mercy on me. I'd put on sackcloth and ashes. I would cry out to God. And probably God would say, listen, I want you to read the Bible right now to discern what exactly you're supposed to do. He might have turned my attention to Proverbs 19 where it says, discipline your son, for in that there's hope. Do not, Matt, be a willing party to your children's death. Discipline them or they die. Then maybe he turned my attention to Proverbs 23, 13. Do not withhold punishment from a child, any of your children. Matt, if you punish him with the rod, he will not die. Punish him with the rod and save his soul from death. He's going to die without discipline. Your children are going to die. She's going to die without discipline. Make it happen. This one. How about Leviticus 20? Now we get into the law. Now we're getting into commands. If anyone curses his father or mother, he must be, here we go. You're not even going to believe this. Put in time out for seven minutes. I'm not going to tell you how to discipline your kids, but I had a, had a professor come to my office one time and says, so talk about discipline of children. He says, so, I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, for every age of the child, say they're seven years of old, I've been told you put a minute into time out. So I said, seven years, seven minutes? She goes, yeah. I said, not me. They disobey at any time during the day, go to bed without food, without books, stare up at the upper bunk, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. At 10 a.m. you do that? Indeed, we did it at 10 a.m. You say, well, they'll die of starvation. <laughs> Not on one I'm dead. I'm just going to tell you, you've got to take care of business better than a minute for every year of the age of the kid. Do what you want. But I'm going to, I, I, We've seen a lot of things in our house. A lot of people come through. And the kids act up. And I think, well, what do you do with that? I had a friend, dear friend, love this guy. But uh, his kid would, oh, his kid was a brat. In fact, he was, he was known throughout Northeast Jackson as a brat. Whatever you do, don't have that kid over to your house. Well, you know, we're just that dumb. So come on, family, come, come fellowship with us. And I mean, that kid was atrocious. And I found out why. It was the dad's fault. That kid would be acting out, and uh, dad would say, I'll change the name. Donnie, stop it! And Donnie would look up. <laughs> I went to the grill, yeah, what? What are you going to do about it, man? I said, stop it. Count to three. One, two, and right before he got to three, kid would stop doing what he's doing. Dad would continue in conversation. Kid would continue to do what he was doing until he wore dad out, until he could do anything he wanted to do, which he did with his whole childhood. Y'all, what the Bible teaches is you risk that child dying spiritually, physically, or otherwise. You say, physically? That's kind of crazy. No, it's not. Listen, I read a story not long ago where that was the kind of thing that the parents did with the kid, and the kid finally said, okay, I'm out in the front yard, and I'm headed towards the street. And the mother says, stop! He just looked back and grinned and kept going and got run over by a truck. Why? Not disciplined. Why? 
because we think we love the kid too much to discipline him. If you love that kid, you will discipline that kid. And Eli didn't do it. And so these guys go all the way to the most horrific acts you can imagine. Okay, here we go. Deuteronomy 21. This is the law. So this is how you should respond to your kids rebelling, disobeying, and particularly if they're in the house of the Lord, supposed to be ministering, and they're having sex with women. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, doesn't obey his father and mother, will not listen to them when they discipline him. His father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of the town. That's where all the business was done at the gate. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious, will not obey us. He's a profligate. He's a drunkard. Then all the men of the town get a load of this. You know, you're going to believe this. Take a big breath. Can you do that for me right now? Take a big breath. Stone him to death. So, I don't know what I would do if I were Eli. But I'd like to think I'd do something more than, you know, that's, that's the Lord. He'll do what he wants to do. And say, I go down, I'm in sackcloth, I'm in ashes, I'm weeping, I'm gnashing my teeth, I'm crying out to God. Now, where's a rock? I'm going to grab Hophni, I'm going to take Phineas, and I'm going to take them to the elders of the town. We're going to have a little trial where they might just get stoned. Why? Because the hope of Israel, the hope of holiness in my day, hinges on my obedience or not. And Eli chose not. Well, bad stuff is about ready to happen. In fact, read the next chapter when you get home. The next chapter, Eli and his sons die. They all die. The ark of God is in the Philistines' hands now, and Phineas' wife has a baby, and she names that child Ichabod. The glory has departed. I actually had a brother that went to Washburn University, and they were the Washburn Ichabods. Why would you name a kid Ichabod? The glory's gone. The ark is in someone else's possession. The priest and his kids are dead. You talk about a low moment in Israel's history, and here it is. Now, I want to go... Can I tell you how I tend to preach? I tend to say, Jesus, what are you doing in my life this week? What are you teaching me? Now, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes I've got to go looking. But this week, the 15th happened this week. And the 15th means I'm praying over the 15th proverb. I pray for my kids, and I pray for the, what I call the freedom of nine. I've already told you this. But I pray half of that proverb or two-thirds of that proverb, I'll pray for one of the children. And then the other half I will pray, or the other third I will pray for the freedom of nine. That would be my wife and the children, and of course our two daughters-in-law. And I pray these things over their lives. So I'm praying uh, on, on Proverbs 15th day, I'm praying, I forget who it was, I was actually praying for that day, I have it written down there, but as I'm praying for them, I notice something. The word reproof comes up a lot. Reproof. It means correction. It means admonition. Now, real quick, show of hands. This is a pull. Everybody got to get your right hand ready to go. Here, who, who here likes to be corrected? See, there's got to be some weird spiritual guy. I see Michael. I see Noel here. Who are you guys? And there's Micah. Whatever, guys. By the way, you'll go to hell for lying. I want to tell you right now, it's not a good thing to lie. Are you serious? You guys like this? Wow, 
That's some spiritual maturity there. Bring it on. I want to hear it because it'll make me better. We've got some basketball players here, dad and son. Hey, listen, if you go play basketball, if you want coach to be a better player, you will be corrected. And when you are corrected, it might not feel so hot at the time, but you'll appreciate it when you become that better ball player and you'll have a better team. Got the offensive player of the year here, Caleb Miller. I guarantee he was corrected a whole lot by his, uh, by his coaches, probably several of them, through junior high, middle school, high school, whatever they call it now. I mean, you can't get to that level of excellence without getting corrected. I mean, uh, Patricia is a math teacher. If I ever wanted to get good at math, the only way forward is to do my work, hand it in her, she would mark it up with red ink, I'd look at it and say, what an idiot I am. I'd look up and say, help. And she'd coach me to greatness. She swears she could do it. I doubt it, but she swears that she could do it. But that's the stuff of admonition. That's the stuff of reproof. Say it right now. I love reproof, even if you don't say it. I love reproof. (laughs) God, help us to love reproof. Let me tell you why. In Proverbs 15.5, it says, A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. Proverbs 15.10, Grievous punishment is for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. Will die? Will die. Proverbs 15.31, He whose ear listened to the life-giving, it gives life. Not just you won't die. It gives life. Life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Proverbs 15, 32. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. I mean, we ought to be clawing and grabbing after this thing called reproof. We all need to get into the ready position for reproof. We need to get down here where all athletes get down to do their thing and say, God, bring it. Now, I, I talked before about this ready position thing. But I have a friend this week that was like, like the state champ. Maybe bigger than that. Maybe national champ. I forget. But he, he's our New Testament professor. He says, Matt, you don't just get down the ready position. You get on the balls of your feet in the ready position and get ready for whatever's coming. You get ready to move sideways, forward, back. You get ready. Why? That's what athletes do. When they want to be excellent. So we all need to get in the ready position for reproof, for correction, for admonition. I, uh, I saw this the other day. It was kind of fun. And it wasn't fun all at the same time. But I like the first, uh, first several words. are Potato chips, cheese curls, and candy. Are you kidding me? Let me read more. There were a few mule deer in Arizona's Grand Canyon National Park. And these... Foodstuffs proved to be deadly. In fact, park rangers had to kill over two dozen mule deer because they became hooked, addicted to junk food that was left by visitors in the park. Once they got a taste of the sugar and salt, and I kind of get this, I don't know about you, but I get this. Once they got sugar and salt in their mouth, they developed an extreme addiction and they'd go to any lengths to eat only junk food. And the result was that the animals ignored the food they really needed 
And it left them in poor health and really left them on the edge of starvation, which is why they had to finally shoot them. Because of junk food cravings, they lost their natural ability to digest vegetation. In fact, one park ranger called junk food the crack cocaine of the deer world. Once you're on it, you can't get off of it. Scripture warns us about this kind of thing, that we develop cravings that are not of the Lord. That's why it says the fourth Beatitudes, hunger and thirst for righteousness. Everybody has appetites, but if you let the miracle of God operate in your life, you can switch the wrong appetite for the right appetite. Lord, I want to hunger and thirst for the things of God, for holiness and truth and righteousness for you. For you, Lord. I want to hunger for you. We don't have time for him because we're watching TV or we're on our iPhones or we're checking out the latest thing that the Trump is saying. Instead of saying, God, I want time for you. I want hunger. I want to, if I'm addicted, addicted to something, let me be addicted to you. Now, what we tend to be addicted to is comfort and affirmation and the self-esteem cult. Did you hear it? Comfort, affirmation, and the self-esteem cult. And that is, we need to prop each other up, telling, us, telling each other how good each other is. And I guess that's okay for polite conversation. But that's the problem. We're addicted to polite conversation, and we never go to the next level. We never say, hey, friend, now I want to get to the next level. I just don't want to hear from you how wonderful I am. I need to hear from you what I really am or how you perceive me to be or what you think the Lord is telling you about me. Until we get serious, we'll never go to that level of coaching. But I'm, a, I'm appreciative of Stanley Jones. He was a Methodist missionary to India. And every day he'd go down on his knees. He'd put his hands out like this. And he just tried to listen to the Lord. And he tried to discern, what does he want me to do today? And the only thing I'd critique about that is, I think I'd rather listen to him, not just in that posture, but as I'm reading the Word to discern from the Word of God, what does God want me to do today differently than I did yesterday? See, I think we need to study the Bible that way. If we don't, what happens is, we really like what the Bible's saying, we just don't do anything about it. That's a very dangerous place to be. Because I think Eli was right there. He knew the Torah. He knew the writings of Scripture. He knew lots of things. He just wasn't doing anything about it. He felt okay because he knew it. But he didn't know it. And I think it'd be a wise idea to say, okay, I've just studied Scripture. I've just prayed. Now, What is at least one thing Jesus wants me to do today that I hadn't planned on doing before I read Scripture, before I prayed? I'm serious. I think it would be a great thing, even from this sermon today. What is there one thing that God wants me to do based on what the big mouth preacher is saying right now? Out of the Word of God, what do I need to do about reproof? What do I need to do about discipline? What do I need to do about going to the next level? Not just polite conversation, but going to the next level to say, I want to be challenged to be all the person of God he ever imagined that I could be. So Stanley Jones would go down. I think we need to go down from Scripture and ask the same thing. What is there God wants me to do today because of this? Wesley had band meetings. They say these band meetings, for whatever it's worth, saved England from a French Revolution. 
They were headed down the same path France was going. And, and all of a sudden, here comes Wesley. And he got people into groups. But these groups were wild. Uh, they would get together and they'd say, okay, question one for the day. What known sins have you committed this week? Let's talk. And the leader would go first. And just put it out there. And then they'd go around the circle. Then they had a whole, a whole bunch of other questions. But my favorite one is this. If we see something that you're doing that we wonder if it's of the Lord or not, do you mind if we tell you? <laughs> now, the answer to that question for us is, yes, I mind that you tell me, no, you can't do that. Because that's what we've done. We've said to everybody, hey, be polite, be sweet, be kind. I'm into the self-esteem cult. Make sure you're feeding my cult. Instead of saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I need some people in my life that will go deeper, that will start to go in. So I've kind of wondered about this. Is there something I ought to be doing along this line? Because the Wesley Band meeting questions, I'm going to tell you, I don't think today they work so hot because about the fifth or sixth or seventh week of doing those things, eventually people either start lying or they just quit coming. So what is there I could do? What is there Matt Friedemann could do? And so I just thought, what could I do? And I got an idea. I'm going to throw this idea out to you. I'm not telling you. You need to do it. I'm just telling you what I'm doing this week. I decided, and it worked well, so I'm going to do it again. But every three months or so, I want to go on a listening tour. You say, well, a listening tour, what's that? I say, I want to go to people, and some of you are going to want to sign. I probably ought to have a sign-up sheet outside my office. You'll want to sign up for this. Pastors listening to her, oh, yes, yeah, sign me up for the next time around, Matt. I... There's my name, there's my number, the email, you make sure you contact me. I'd like to sit before you and tell you a thing or two. I probably want to hear it. Well, no, let me say that again. I almost assuredly won't want to hear it. So, uh, someone did this with me. I said, give me a sentence or two. Just a sentence or two, don't have to be a book, don't have to, and uh, wrote like three paragraphs. I was so miffed. And then I thought, wait a minute, Matt. You said, I want to listen. And you just assumed some of that, maybe all of it, maybe not all of it, but some of that is from the Lord. So you just need to kind of sit down and submit to the possibility that this could be of Jesus and maybe there's something I need to hear, understand, and obey. And so I, anyway, I've got a whole list in my journal. And my journal is on my computer and I'm the only guy that's got the uh, password, so you're not getting into it. But I asked, and my goodness gracious, oh my word, they came in. And some things were kind of moderately, some things were just light, and some things were, <laughs> Matt, have you forgiven this guy? Are you still harboring resentment against this guy? As one of my friends said, same friend, by the way, said, hey, by the way, with that other guy, are you so much for the home team, Call him a homer. Are you so much a homer on that guy that you dare not criticize him? I'd like to know, Matt. I'm sitting in front of him. And, you know, he didn't move a muscle. He expected an answer. Well, well I, I, I So I gave him answers. Y'all, you know what it says this in the Bible, don't you? Confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. Do you suppose there's some healing that can't come unless... We lay ourselves out there like that. So I went around. I asked a, a bunch of people, got some nice answers. I said, <laughs> actually, after the last one, I said, 
that's enough. We'll just stop right there. In three months, I'll come back to it. But in that three months' time, I want to look at those things and say, God, I just consider this, or at least some of this, to be from you. Help me to now do something about these things. I went into this week not doing anything about reproof. Now I'm trying to set myself down in front of people who I know and love and trust to tell me a thing or two. They told me a thing or two. Jesus, help me. I don't know what your plan for reproof is. I would recommend that at least one time around, see how it goes. Are there five or six people that I could just sit down in front of and say, could you tell me the honest truth about me? Can you talk to Jesus just a moment and ask Jesus what he wants me to hear from him through you? Now, I get it. Most of us aren't going to do that because we just want to go, go that far. But I'm going to tell you, I think something like that is a good thing for all of us if we believe that we don't want to die and we don't want our children to die. We don't want our flock to die. And so... These things may be worth us taking seriously. I told this to you a couple years ago. So let me come back around and suggest this again. It was September 3rd of 1989. And uh, Varig Airlines Flight 254 was taking off from Brazil's Maraba Airport. And so they're taking off and... Uh, Captain Cesar Garces, Garces, I think his name is, uh, decided, okay, it's 48 minutes to Belém, so that's where we're headed, 48 minutes away, no big deal. Uh, and he decides, going to use the computer, the horizontal situation indicator, and the number for Belém is 0270. So he says, all right. Chit-chatting around with his, uh, with his first chair over there, gets back, and he types in, not 0270, but he types in, 270, which instead of taking him towards Belém, took him west, and he was headed straight towards the Amazon forest, and he wasn't even paying attention. So eventually he kind of thought, you know, this isn't right, because I ought to be seeing Belém out there somewhere, and he doesn't see the city. So at this point, not having the visual, he says, okay, hmm, he panics, he makes a 180-degree turn. Well, if you think about it, it's dumb, because that's not going to get him to Belém. That's just going to where he came from. He's not thinking right. Y'all, have you ever been there? Just not thinking right. Starting to do dumb things. This is what we do when we think alone. So he's starting to panic, goes 180 degrees. Eventually, he's notifi- notified by the flight attendant, you know, the passengers are wondering what in the world's going on. And at this point, he flat out lies. He announces there's a power failure at the Belém airport and that I'm going to circle the area waiting for the power to be restored. He did not know where he was. He was panicking. He thought, I'm in trouble. I know it. But let's do this. Flight attendants, serve a fresh round of drinks to the bewildered passengers. They'll be okay. So 7.39 p.m. when the flight was 68 minutes overdue, The first officer identified the problem and said, Captain, this is what I think we did wrong. The captain dismissed the explanation, does not want to hear it. Anybody ever been there? I don't want to hear your critique of me. Shut up. 
He doesn't want to hear it. He refuses to ask for help. And now he says, let me count the minutes until we run out of fuel. So he begins searching the ground to find an airport where we could land the plane. He's over the Amazon forest. About an hour later, out of fuel, he makes what is known in aviation history as a remarkable crash landing in total darkness in a dense tropical forest. All six of the crew survived, but 13 of 48 passengers were killed. Now they lost their licenses and they never flew again. But I want to run down here real quick. Garchez lied. He served a fresh round of drinks. He dismissed the critique. He refused to ask for help. And death ensued. Reproof is a big Proverbs theme. We live in a culture where it's not likely to come your way unless you ask for it. But y'all, reproof says Proverbs. And reproof going back to 1 Samuel 3 is a matter of life and death. So, position yourselves well. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, will you please stand? Jesus, the excellence that seems to be in this room right now is unbelievable. But that's an excellence of potential. Lord, this church has done wonderful things in days gone by. But Jesus, right now, you want to take us to a whole other level. That other level won't happen unless we seek other people for coaching, for help, for insight, and yes, for reproof. God, help us be that crazy to ask for it. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you, Dayspring. Thank you.